there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here all across America. The phone number is 877-973-7425. I would like to begin by playing you a piece of audio. It is from Chris Christie on This Week with George Stephanopoulos. You're doing your best, but when 64% of your own party says a year and a half into your presidency, thanks, but no thanks, um, that does reflect, I agree with you, the frustrations of Democrats, some because they don't think he's done enough, and some because they think he's done too much. Um, and so you've got kind of the, the mansion wing of the party, the more moderate wing of the party who's saying, you know, slow down here, look at this inflation, look at the kitchen table issues that the Democrats are losing on right now. And then you've got the progressive wing of the party who says, we need to do more, and you've blown these opportunities. Joe Biden is in no man's land. He can't keep the moderates happy. He can't keep the progressives happy. And that's an awful place to be as, a, as, a, as an office holder when you don't have anybody. And the last thing I'd say to you, John, quickly is that for, for Democrats, they would love to make 2022 about Donald Trump. They would love to. But it's not about Donald Trump. It's about inflation. It's about gas prices. It's about crime in the streets. If you're in New York or Washington or Boston or Chicago or Los Angeles, San Francisco, it's about crime. And Democrats are not doing well on those issues. They're not. That's the ultimate uh, bottom line here. Democrats really did think, and some of them still do actually think, that there's an abortion bounce in the polling. And to the extent there was... It is fading away. So let me give you the generic ballot number. Uh, the generic ballot number of the GOP has rebounded. Uh, they're up 2.5. But, 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 here's the new Democrat conspiracy. The Trafalgar Group is a Republican-leaning group, and it has R plus 8. Rasmussen is Rasmussen. They've got R plus 10. They do lean to the right. Emerson has R plus 1. Economist YouGov has Dems plus 3. Political Morning Consult, Dems plus 4. Quinnipiac, Dems plus 1. Fox has Republicans up 3. CNBC, Republicans up 2. New York Times has Republicans up 1. So you've got three polls that have the Democrats bouncing and you got one, two, three, four, five, six polls that have the GOP up. Well, the Democrats are now saying, oh, but Trafalgar and Rasmussen are Republican. They're rigging it. They're rigging it. They're going to rig it. But you got the battleground poll. The battleground poll has the GOP closer to up eight. The battleground poll is of the swing states or the swing districts the 56 swing districts. But what does the data actually suggest? Right now in the Senate, there's a 50-50 chance, GOP and Republicans, uh, GOP or or Democrats rather, 50-50 chance. Now why? Because to the extent that voters are going with Donald Trump's candidates, he's got some clunkers. Herschel Walker in Georgia is not a good candidate. And there is a growing consensus among Republicans he's going to lose. And I understand why I still think Walker can win because of the fundamentals of the election and Biden's unpopularity. 
Down in Georgia, Raphael Warnock, the incumbent Democratic senator who wants another term, he's only got a, he only had a two-year term. He was finishing out the late Johnny Isaacson's term. Uh, Warnock wants a full six years. Warnock is refusing to talk about Joe Biden. It's actually become a bit of a big media story down in the Atlanta newspaper, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, that uh, Warnock won't talk nice things about Biden, says he's focused on his reelection, not Joe Biden, doesn't want to talk about Joe Biden, wants nothing to do with Biden. That's not a good sign. Mehmet Oz in Pennsylvania, also a terrible candidate. In Missouri, one bright spot, it appears that the Eric Greitens boom has faded, and now Eric Schmidt is in, in the lead. Eric Schmidt is the incumbent attorney general, great conservative guy, will be a fantastic senator. Uh, Eric Schmidt is who everyone in Missouri should be voting for anyway. In Nevada, Adam Laxalt continues to dominate that race, which is good. But you've got to hold Wisconsin, and Ron Johnson isn't a great candidate. He can probably win, though. But Republicans have got to hold Pennsylvania. If they pick up Nevada and they lose Pennsylvania, well, that doesn't do them any good. Pennsylvania is an open seat for the Republicans. Pat Toomey's retiring. they got to pick it up. They need to pick up Arizona, and the GOP is having a terrible time there. Blake Masters is President Trump's preferred candidate. He's leading in the polls because of the Trump endorsement, but he's not a great candidate. What we're seeing is that Trump picks for the Senate don't do well in the general election. Even J.D. Vance, who I think is a fine candidate, isn't doing as well as he probably should in this environment in Ohio. So the Senate, the GOP had been at about a 55% chance of taking it. It's now 50-50 as to whether the GOP takes it or not. But in the House of Representatives... Still an 85% chance, according to 538, that the GOP takes the House of Representatives. An 85% chance. All the GOP has to do is pick up like five seats and they win. They're going to pick up through redistricting alone probably a dozen seats. And then there's everything else. 538 has this piece What would losing big in the midterms mean for Biden? Well, one of the things it would mean is that Joe Biden would finally have a bad guy to run against. This is one of the hardest things for people to really understand. Uh, Yes, the party, the party that controls the White House, historically does poorly in the midterms. Historically, the party that controls the White House does poorly in the midterms. That's a statement of fact, and it doesn't matter whether it's a Republican or a Democrat. It's a statement of fact. The Democrats are trying to claim they have a fighting chance because they're trying to tie everything to Trump and January 6th. I mean, I I see Brian Stelter from CNN out there said, oh, it actually was a must-rated TV show, the summer sweep season, and it's persuading people. It's not really persuading a lot of people. It's persuading people about Trump, not about the GOP. The Democrats really wanted it to persuade people that the, the, the Republicans were bad. That really worked that way. 
What it's done is impacted Donald Trump. It hasn't impacted the GOP. Well, there's all this other data out there, too. There's a lot of static. There's a lot of noise, but there's a lot of data. And here's what I come away with in looking at the data. The GOP is going to take back the House of Representatives as long as Republicans show up and vote. By the way, in Georgia, Stacey Abrams is toast. Stacey Abrams is toast. I was talking to a top Democratic operative over the weekend. And he said, uh, you're going to see them have a fight. And the reason you're going to see the Democrats fight in Georgia is to save Warnock. But it's all about Warnock at this point. The Democrats have a slate of candidates, and the Democrats' own polling shows that there are a lot of independents who are going to vote for Raphael Warnock over Herschel Walker, and then they're going to vote straight Republican. They're going to vote Republican for governor, for lieutenant governor, for attorney general, for secretary of state. They're going to, they're going to vote straight Republican. The Democrats really thought— this, this is how the Democrats in Georgia and nationally looked at Republicans. They saw Donald Trump around the country handpick candidates who were stolen election conspiracy theorists who would fight for Donald Trump's grievances. And Trump made his giant stand in Georgia. He picked Herschel Walker. But let's be honest here. Herschel Walker is Herschel Walker. He's a the beloved football hero of Georgia. He didn't need Donald Trump except to get him in the race. Once he got in the race, it's all Herschel. Herschel's going to win that Republican primary, not because of Donald Trump's endorsement, but because of Herschel Walker. But he's got Burt Jones, who's running for lieutenant governor, who, by the way, was under investigation in Fulton County, Georgia, for that um, elector thing where he was going to be one of the, the supposed electors for the Electoral College if the Republicans were able to do a different slate. And, and a judge has told the Fulton County DA she can't investigate him anymore. She can't be the one to prosecute him. Why? Because she's holding a fundraiser for his opponent. Yes. Pay attention to that. Those of you nationally, you're not going to hear this in the national news. That prosecutor in Georgia who is investigating Donald Trump is holding fundraisers for Democratic politicians for the state of Georgia. No bias there. No. She got Burt Jones. Trump got that guy. But Burt Jones's family are billionaires. Literally, they're billionaires. He was going to win anyway. But then Brad Raffensperger won. The Democrats convinced themselves nationally that they could take the Secretary of State's spot in Georgia because Georgia, there's no way those Republicans would return Brad Raffensperger to the Secretary of State's office. So they got this woman called B. Wynn. She's a progressive legislator from Atlanta. She's running for Secretary of State on defending and preserving democracy. She really thought that Brad Raffensperger, the Secretary of State in Georgia, was going down in the primary. Her entire campaign thematically has been about defending democracy. No one defended democracy better in Georgia than Brad Raffensperger. And now she's going to be like, well, we can't have Brad Raffensperger because we got to defend democracy. How do you make that argument given who he is and what he did? And Trump hates him. You got the attorney general in Georgia. The Democrats put up this woman named Jen Jordan. She's a pro-abortion. She's basically Georgia's abortion Barbie. That's all she cares about is killing kids. 
She really doesn't have a big agenda other than abortion. She actually said, as attorney general, she will not do her job. She will not enforce laws she disagrees with. That's not what she's supposed to do as attorney general. But she's literally saying, if there's a law I don't like, I'm not going to enforce it. She's not going to win. So the Democrats under under Stacey Abrams, who the Democrats in Georgia derisively refer to as Queen, Queen Stacey handpicked all these people to run for particular positions. She's got an ag commissioner. She's got a labor commissioner. She's got a secretary of state candidate. She's got an attorney general candidate. She's got a lieutenant governor candidate. She's got all these people. And they're all going to lose. The Democrats' own internal polling shows they're all going to lose. If the Republicans turn out, don't do what they did in the runoff, they're all going to lose. Raphael Warnock can win. The rest of them sink. And Stacey Abrams' future as a politician is destroyed. And in that regard, the fallout for the Democrats nationally And this is why I spend this time on this segment right here for so many of you who you're listening in Orlando or Springfield, Illinois, you're listening in North Carolina, you're listening in, well, we just picked up Cookville, uh, Tennessee. You're listening all over and you're like, why, why, Erickson? We don't care. We don't live there. This is why you must care. Because the statewide candidates in Georgia that Stacey Abrams hand-selected and curated and built up to win. They're all going to lose. And that's the farm team for the Democratic Party nationally. Stacey Abrams wasn't just picking candidates to win in Georgia. She was picking the next generation of viable national Democratic candidates. She hand-selected them. And they're all going to lose. The Democrats' biggest problem is they don't have a farm team. They don't have good candidates who have a lot of experience running and winning at the state and local level in most of the country. And yet again, they're going to have another setback, this time because of Stacey Abrams. And the Democrats, there will be hell to pay for Stacey Abrams after this election. Broadcasting from my flagship station, WSB, and spread around the world via satellite... I happen to be Eric Erickson, and this hour of my program is brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. If you're in charge of the finances of a business and you need loan $750,000 or more for that business to grow the business, reach out to First Liberty. They might be able to help you nationwide. They can help you. FirstLibertyGA.com. FirstLibertyGA.com is their uh, website. You can get their contact info. Tell them I sent you. I am going to go to the phones to Keith. You are going to be up next. Welcome. Hi, Keith. Uh, did you mean Did you mean Mickey? Oh, is it Mickey? Yep. Person. I'm sorry, my call screener. <laughs> I will properly flog him after you're off the air. Uh, he's a good guy. I've spoken with him a few times. Well, his well, kids are projectile vomiting, so he's a little distracted. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, I wanted to say, you know, I pretty much agree with you word for word about Herschel Walker, and I wish that wasn't the case. I think he's a horrible candidate, and I think Trump kind of screwed us on that one. But you know, he can I win. He the best. I, I don't know, but here's the I, I'm not sure he can, but here's the thing. Who else do we have in Georgia that could have legitimately 
been the candidate that is going to excite people. I think our Republican bench for, you know, supposedly red states is paper thin. I mean, short of bringing Newt Gingrich back, I don't know who else it could have been. No, I mean, Doug you see, Collins I, yeah, didn't run, Casey Cagle didn't run. I, I disagree with you on that one because I look at the people who did run, and my sense of the underlying dynamics of those independents who are backing Warnock is they wanted an alternative. So had the GOP just provided someone other than Walker, they would have leaned that person's way. So uh, I think even though Latham Sadler had very low name ID and and Gary Black, the ag commissioner, uh, had already run statewide and won repeatedly, had you just put any of those other candidates in that position, uh, independents would be leaning GOP. They wouldn't know the candidate per se. But they would be leaning in the GOP's direction in the same way, for example, they don't really know all of these other Republican candidates who are running, but they're leaning their way because they got an R next to their name and they hate the Democrats right now. Walker's problem is that he's too well known. So people already know him and they know the baggage and they don't like it. You put a Latham Sadler in there, the guy's going to have a, a in, in the general would have a lot of money. The Republicans would come in, and he's got one hell of a story. Hi, my name is Latham Sadler. After 9-11, I decided to backpack through Afghanistan, learn the language, and I joined the Navy SEALs and helped fight the war. That's all you need to know against Raphael Warnock, who doesn't like the military and has blasted the military. That's all you need to know. Gary Black. Hi, my name is Gary Black. I am right now in charge of agriculture for the entire state of Georgia. I have run statewide repeatedly, and I have made Georgia not just America's peach producer, but also its blueberry producer and peanut producer. And the amount of cattle we send to your tasty tables with delicious steaks, I'm in charge of that too. Done. Kelvin King. Hi, my name's Kelvin King. I am a, a black businessman. I build homes around the state of Georgia. I am committed to you. I'm a small businessman. I know what Washington is doing to us. I know as a home builder what inflation is doing to you. Done. You got great messages. Herschel Walker. I'm Herschel Walker, football star. Pay no attention to the people I've said I wanted to kill and the violence that I've done and crazy things and also all those other kids. Yeah, it's a problem, but he can still win. And, you know, I look, I've reached out to him again uh, and to his staff. I said, come on the show. Um, just just come on and talk. I'll give you an hour. We'll, we'll do uh, what we didn't do in the primary. Uh, I'll give you an hour. Who are you? Why are you running? What's your big issue? Uh, what do you think? Uh, let him have an hour. Uh, the campaign, I think they're actually going to do it uh, next month. They've gone through some restructuring. He can still win, folks. He's got problems, but he can still win, and Warnock knows it. Hello there. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here. The phone number. Well, you know what? Um, I'm I'm clo- going on and closing the phone lines here, and I'll explain why. My call screener uh, is doing the call screening from home with sick children who are puking everywhere, and one of them has to go to the doctor. Um, uh, we, we try to accommodate families around here. So, we're going to go on without your phone calls now. That's all right. You wanted to hear me anyway. You didn't want to hear the callers. I want to play a bit of audio from former Speaker of the House Representatives Newt Gingrich. Listen to this over the weekend. Let me just get your final comments on Congresswoman Cheney, concerns that you've had before about this committee and what's happening. Look, she's a very smart professional. She defended herself well. The fact is they've had hour after hour after hour. They've moved virtually no Republicans. 
Uh, and people are going to look back on this as a show trial. And I think what, what historians are going to say is, after all the attacks on Trump, starting with the Russia lies in 2016, after all these attacks, there's a huge number of Americans who are so sick of the elites and think they are so corrupt that they prefer Donald Trump with whatever the challenges to what they're being fed by the national establishment. I think people should really pay attention, not to Trump, but to the millions and millions of people who deeply hate what they see as a corrupt national city, and they see this particular game, this show trial, as just more corruption. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. I, I use that as a segue to, to talk about something a little bit out of the box, but there's actually a research study the Associated Press is heralding, and, and you got members of the media are just, just gobsmacked by it. They can't fathom it. Compared to 99.9% of you, I have a deeply unique background that gives me a deeply unique perspective in the world. I don't say that to sound better than you. That's not my intention. It's just to say I'm different. It's one reason in talk radio, for example, I think I provide a different perspective, conservative, but different. It, it, I, I don't talk about the same stuff other people in talk radio talk about a lot. Uh, because I have a different background and perspective. And when I do talk about the same topics, I tend to talk about them in a different way. Not necessarily uh, landing on them differently, but talking about them in a different way. But it, it goes to this. I did not grow up in this country. When I was five years old, we moved to Dubai. I grew up in Dubai. I have still, at the age of 47 now, been to more countries than states. I have been around the world every few months when we lived in Dubai. We had to leave the country for a week while our visa got renewed. My dad's company would tell us, you pick you pick where you want to go, and we'll cover the cost. And away we went. I have been to countries some of you have never heard of. Been to countries that don't exist anymore. I have been all over the world. My oldest sister went to boarding school for a time outside of London. When I was a kid, I met the actual, factual, real Obi-Wan Kenobi in his garden outside of London. And I talked to him about the bridge over the River Quay because he despised Star Wars. And I, as a kid, loved the bridge over the River Quay. It's still one of my favorite movies. If you've never seen it, my gosh, it's a blow up the damn bridge. It's wonderful. I've been to Sweden. I've been to the Netherlands. I've been to Belgium. I've been to France. I've been to Switzerland. I've been to Austria. I crash-landed in Austria on a 747. I've been to Italy. I've been to Greece. I've been to Spain. I've been all over the world. I've been to the Czech Republic. I've been to Turkey. I've been to Syria. I've been to Jordan. I've been to Kuwait. I've been to Egypt. I've been to Oman. I've been to Saudi Arabia. I've been to Pakistan. I've been to India. I've been to Malaysia. I've been to Thailand. I've been to Hong Kong. I've been all over the world. And it showed me, it gave me an appreciation and perspective for how the United States must, must be the leader of the free world. It gave me a renewed love for my country because I have been to all the others. 
and none of them provide the profound opportunities for all people of all backgrounds that our country does. This is why no one is walking across Central and South America to get to Canada. They want to come here. They don't want to go through us to get to them. We would gladly let them, undoubtedly, but they don't want to go to Canada. They want to come here. The Canadians want to come here. Everybody wants to come here. The land of the free and the home of the brave. In Iran, in Egypt, in Tunisia, in Malaysia, in Indonesia, in Vietnam, in China, in Hong Kong, in Korea, when there are fights that break out over democracy and freedom, what do they fly? What do the oppressed peoples of the world fly? Old glory itself. They fly our flag. They don't fly the Union Jack from Great Britain. They don't fly the Canadian flag. They fly old glory, the stars and stripes. They fly our flag. They sing our anthem in the streets. The protesters of Iran in the spring of 2009 marched in the streets of Tehran carrying our flag, murmuring as they walked down the streets. Oh, say, can you see? You don't want to hear me sing. By the dawn's early light. They did that in Tehran. They did it in Hong Kong. They did it there. They were gunned down. The last words on their lips. Oh, say does the star-spangled banner yet wave over the land of the free and the home of the brave. They weren't just flying our flag, they were singing our anthem. There are a lot of people in this country who don't like this country, and they are anomalous in the world because the world yearns for the shining city on a hill that calls all to a better life with their own hard work. It's the white progressive of the United States who doesn't believe it's possible. The rest of the world, including those who have already come here, they believe it. They know it. And I say that to talk about this story. This is from the Associated Press. Growing up in mid-sized Virginia Beach, Andrew Waltholtz wanted to live in a big city, so he moved to the District of Columbia for college. After four years in the comparatively expensive city, he realized he wanted a place to live that was more affordable. Walt Holtz, 35, found a happy compromise in St. Louis, whose Midwestern affordability and opportunities to build his career in corporate compliance had the added bonus that his sister and brother-in-law lived there. Now living 940 miles away from Virginia Beach, Waldholtz is in a distinct minority 
among others who reached adulthood in the 21st century, and that he resides a half-continent away from where he grew up. According to a new study by U.S. Census Bureau and Harvard University researchers released Monday, the study found that by age 26, more than two-thirds of young adults in the United States lived in the same area where they grew up. 80% had moved less than 100 miles away, and 90% resided less than 500 miles away. Migration distances were shorter for black and Hispanic individuals compared to white and Asian young adults, and the children of higher-income parents traveled further away from their hometowns than those of less wealthy parents, according to the study. For many individuals, the radius of economic opportunity is quite narrow, said the report. My family moved halfway around the world. Literally halfway around the world. Therefore, time was a direct flight on Delta Airlines in the past few years. After the invention of the 777, Boeing 777 aircraft, the greatest airplane ever invented, could fly from Atlanta to Dubai nonstop. You get off the plane and drop dead of blood clots. <laughs> when I was a kid from rural Louisiana... We'd drive to Baton Rouge and then hop a plane, usually to Atlanta, but sometimes to Dallas or Houston. And we'd get on either a DC-10 or a TriStar or usually a 747, and we would fly to London or Amsterdam or Brussels or Paris and occasionally to Frankfurt in Germany, usually Amsterdam or London. And then we'd get on another plane. We'd wait in the airport for a number of hours, and we'd get on another plane, and we would fly to Dubai. And we'd do it all again in the beginning of the summer. Before it got too hot in Dubai, we'd come home for the summer. And while we were in Dubai, we would hop planes, and we would go to Malaysia and China and India and Europe, all over. And when I grew up, I lived in rural Louisiana where we moved back to. I graduated from public high school in a rural part of the state, and I packed my bag, and I moved over 700 miles away to go to college, and I stayed. I am an anomaly. But here's the thing. So, too, are the members of the press, very few of whom are native to Washington, D.C. I try to be empathetic. I try to understand because I have to relate to a lot of people who grew up with a different world than I did. Very few of you lived abroad. Very few of you have traveled abroad. And very few of you have moved too far away from home. And I try to relate the world through the lenses of my background to you. The American media in Washington, D.C. does not know how to do that. They don't have any empathy for you. Most of them are not natives. They move far from home and got jobs, and they assume everyone else did as well. And if you don't have their cosmopolitan, well-traveled worldview, they hold you in contempt. I can't tell you the number of people in the media who are shocked to find out that I lived overseas. They think I'm just some hick from the South with no world experience. I got more world experience than them. They can't relate to you. And as 
their inability to relate to you has festered. They hold you in contempt, and they're trying to explain the world to people they hold in contempt, and you know it. You feel their contempt. You feel their disdain. That's why you like Trump, because he was more worldly than you, more cosmopolitan than you, had been more well-traveled than you, but he hated those SOBs just like you and was in a position to give them black eyes. And now they think that they're back in charge. And they think they've made Donald Trump radioactive. They think he won't come back. Now they're scared to death of Ron DeSantis because they're afraid that he's Trump but smart, in their words. He's dangerous because he's more savvy a politician. You don't need Donald Trump. You don't need to put him back in the White House and give him four years when you can give Ron DeSantis eight years. Because Trumpism is something other than Trump. It is a response to the rejected alienation and bigoted worldview of an American press corps that packed up, left home, and can't fathom you hicks and rubes who love your family enough to stay put or within traveling distance. They simply can't relate to you. They simply can't acknowledge it. They can't acknowledge, They live in a completely different world, and they assume everyone else is as mobile as them, as, as worldly as them. Some of you actually like your family. Some of you actually like your churches. Some of you actually like your state. Some of you can't imagine giving it all up and leaving. I did not like Louisiana when I was a kid. I mean, I love the food and I love my family. I love that part of the state. Man, every time I go back, I get homesick. It's the most beautiful land to me. It's plantation country in Louisiana. Live oaks and rolling hills. Freshwater streams that bubble up out of the ground from cold springs flowing inevitably down to the Mississippi. The moss hangs down. The live oaks expand. The old houses get older but stay just as beautiful. I miss it. But here's home now, here in Atlanta. But I'm the anomaly. The fact is, though, I can admit it. I can acknowledge it. And I can appreciate it and try to relate the world to you through my eyes in ways that are relatable and empathetic to you. And the American media can't. Newt Gingrich is right. You people hate Washington, D.C. as much as I do because Washington, D.C. drips with disdain and disgust for all of us. And get surprised. I can't tell you the number of times I've gone into meetings like, oh, my gosh, you grew up overseas. I would have no idea. Why? Because I sound like I'm from the South. You can't imagine that I would have grown up and been to more countries than you. Oh, my gosh, it happens every time. And these are the people who want to tell us what is right in the world. They can't even tell us what a woman is. The Eden Pure Thunderstorm. I got to tell you about it now. Y'all, listen, I'm going to be honest with you because I get these emails all the time. I don't use the Eden Pure as a regular air purifier in my house. I don't. Uh, the reason that I don't is because what I have found it does the absolute best at and what I use it for all the time is it eliminates odors. We don't need an air purifier running in our house. We have a great filtration system in our house already. But what we don't have is something that eliminates odors, particularly in the kitchen where we don't have an exhaust fan. 
And the Eden Pure works so well at it, I actually keep one in my suitcase and I travel with it. Because if I'm in a rental car and it stinks, if it's got pet or smoke odors in it, I can plug up the Eden Pure, use a USB cord, or use the cigarette lighter or what have you, and it works. It just wipes out the odors. I can plug it up directly into the wall in a hotel room. And it's no inconvenience to carry it. it. It, I can hold it in my hand. It's slightly bigger than my hand. I can plug it directly into the wall if I need to. And you turn it on, you leave it a little bit, it just wipes out the odors. It also does, though, get rid of the mildew and the mold and the dust and the pollen. If I'm in a hotel, like an old building, I'll leave it running. And just it gets rid of the pollen and the mildew and the musty odors and the dust. And I just wipe it out because it's filterless. It works so well. You can get three of them for less than $200 right now at EdenPureDeals.com. EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is ERIC3. You'll see it on the front of the website. Go to EdenPureDeals.com. You put in ERIC3, E-R-I-C-K-3, no space. You get three Eden Pure Thunderstorms for less than $200. You're saving $200, and you get free shipping at EdenPureDeals.com. I see my financial advisor is just been on Fox News. Let's listen to a little bit of this. Let's deal with right, gentlemen. I'm, I'm, I'm noticing that Senator Joe Manchin is the latest boldface name to test positive for COVID-19. Uh, the BA5 variant, as it's called, has already prompted a 19 percent jump in cases over just the last couple of weeks. Uh, China's having rolling shots. All right. Let's, where do we have? Go, go out and spend. And this is why I think it's nonsense, this term of shallow or technical recession. When Americans feel like they're in a recession, that's going to impact spending. It's almost like the chicken or the egg. Which one comes first? Because we start to induce ourselves into this fear like we're in a recession. So if, an Amer- if Americans, we take one less trip or maybe we don't go out to eat this weekend because of this fear of a recession, that sends ripple effects throughout the economy. I think we're... Yes, Dave Nicholas, you're so right. I'm glad you're my guy. Consumer spending accounts for 70% of economic activity, he said. When a majority of Americans believe we're in a recession, guess what? We're probably in a recession. Whether the administration wants to think so or not, they can do all their technical redefining they want. Two quarters, negative economic growth. That's been the historic definition. That's what it is everywhere else in the world. We're probably headed into one. 